Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. The Podcast Network is supported by Neo.org, a social network with a purpose to transform the world by enabling people to transform themselves. And Tony Kynaston, our first TPN patron. Become a TPN patron or a member of the TPN 500 by visiting tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you're listening to G'day World on the Podcast Network. My name is Cameron Riley. Actually, scratch that. You're listening to the Cameron Riley Show on the Podcast Network because I'm going to change the branding and get rid of G'day World, I think. Um, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is on the other end of the phone. He's uh, somewhere in uh, Washington State. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, special guest? Uh, my name is Mike Snyder. I'm from Vancouver, Washington, United States. <laughs> Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver, That's Washington. Correct. And Mike, um, the subject that you've chosen for this evening's program <laughs> is, what did you say before? Evolution and the origins of the universe and anything in there kind of stuff. You just want to take me on, you want to, you want to, you want to have a debate on just everything. Well, Cameron, you've got such a broad range of things that you're militant about. Um, I feel <laughs> I can, I, I'm, I'm willing to let you pick whatever you want. And Mike, There's so much to tackle. <laughs> and Mike, uh, what what is your background uh, that gives you credibility to debate me on these subjects, sir? Well, uh, let me first state that uh, I have a, a lot of respect for your show and the people you've had on in the past, and uh, and I can't hope to compare to the credentials of the world class uh, people you've done interviews with in the various subject matters. However. Uh, I believe you, you present yourself as a lay person who's done a lot of independent study, and I would present myself in a similar light. I have a background in uh, theology. I went to Bible college. I went to Liberty University, which is Jerry Falwell's university in Virginia, and I double majored in music and theology. I spent some time at the um, seminary, and I've had about probably about 30 years total of, uh, of Christian experience. I've worked in a variety of capacities uh, in churches, and, um, and I'm also a, a teacher, and, uh, and I've taught quite a bit on a, a variety of related subjects. And I, I think I have a, uh, a strong enough background that, that I can speak intelligently about a lot of different things, and I come at it from a, a point of view that isn't quite as fundamental as a lot of people with my experience would uh, would be holding to. And, and I think there's a lot of weak arguments there that would kind of negate some of the more valid points that they would have. So I, I think I'm capable of uh, 
of meeting you head to head, but I do <laughs> want to make it clear that I'm I'm not uh, I'm not of the extremely high caliber of uh, experts that you've had on your show. Well, I'm sure you'll do just fine, Mike. And and you look, you're absolutely right. I, I I'm of of course absolutely a layperson, and I one of the things that I've always tried to to one of the points I've tried to make on the show is that I think it's entirely valid for lay people such as ourselves that that have an interest in these subjects to discuss them and debate them. This whole idea that only experts should discuss and debate these topics, I think, is erroneous, and in many ways has been engineered to stop the people talking and discussing these subjects, uh, whether it be religion or politics or philosophy or whatever it is. It's not to say that we'll necessarily always have all of the data, uh, but you know these, these are the big issues, and I think th- the world would be a much better place if more of us discussed and debated these things you know, in, in an open, honest, friendly, transparent way on a more regular basis. I think it would make for a better world. And we're starting that better world here. And, and with that in mind, I want to thank and uh, give a shout-out uh, right up front to the TPN's new network sponsor as of today, uh, neo.org, N-E-O as in uh, Keanu Reeves, neo.org. You ever, you ever seen neo.org, Mike? Not that I recall. I don't think so. Neo.org, I've been aware of for um, a bit over a year. It's a social network for people who want to change the world. And uh, started uh, by a number of people, I think, but one of the founders, uh, if not the founder, is an Australian entrepreneur called Bill Liao, who currently, I believe, lives in Ireland. But uh, he was in Melbourne and then in Switzerland, and he's one of the investors uh, in a number of internet businesses over the last 10 or so years. I think he was involved in a a free ISP maybe in Australia at one stage. Uh, Then he's one of the investors in one of the biggest social, like traditional (laughs) online social networks, Zing.com in uh, Europe. But then set up Neo a year or so ago, and it's basically trying to get people to make a declaration for what they're going to do to make the world a better place. And uh, Neo is a TPN network sponsor for the next few months, uh, which is very generous of them, helping us uh, continue to you know, meet the costs of running TPN. And uh, I want anyone listening to this who hasn't been to neo.org to have a read of the declaration to go and do so right now. Stop the podcast. Go to neo.org and read and uh, make your own declaration about how you're going to make the world a better place because, um, as I like to say on the show, the internet is just a tool like a hammer and you can either use a hammer to hit someone on the head with it or hit little kittens or seals on the head or you can use it to sculpt uh, something like Michelangelo's statue of David out of a block of Carrara marble. It's it's what you do with it and uh, it's great to see... People like Bill actually creating ways that we can use the interwebs to talk about uh, how we're going to make the world a better place. So neo.org. All right, that's the sponsorship message out of the way. And a good sponsor, uh, best sponsor we've ever had on TPN, I think, uh, because it's something that's all about making the world a better place, which is what TPN is about, obviously, which is what this discussion is all about. I I agree, Cameron. I'd like to just put a plug of my own. I'm going to be signing up as a TPN 500 member. And uh, and I'm I'm just really excited about the work that you're doing doing in general, uh, despite the fact that uh, you know from my point of view you can be wrong on a few things. Uh, I really appreciate 
the contributions you've uh, given to free media and, and your point of view and, and some of the education that you've uh, uh, created on podcasting. And I think it's really important to support uh, free media like yourself. So I'm going to join the TPN 500, and I'd encourage all your listeners to as well. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, we need we need all the help we can. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get on to the the meat of the show and the discussion. Um, you know, you, you you disagree with me in a number of areas, and that's that's fine. I have no problem with people disagreeing with me. I say I, I welcome disagreement and debate and discussion. All I say is come armed. That's all I say. Come armed, because for me, it's all about let's try and get as close as we can to the truth and the facts of the situation. Is there a particular place that you want to start? Something that you've heard me say that you think I'm particularly erroneous about? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's also a tall order there, Cameron. Um, you you, uh, you throw so many stones out there. Uh, you know, we're, we want to probably focus somewhere on uh, somewhere around evolution, origins of the universe is, it's a broad topic, but why don't you, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, where they're wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, from my, uh, limited reading of, uh, astrophysics and a lot of podcasts that I've heard over the last couple of years, that's, which contain information on the latest uh, data that, that astrophysicists have on the origins of the universe. It seems that somewhere around 14 billion years ago, uh, an event occurred, uh, possibly because uh, of some sort of a fluctuation in the time-space continuum of another universe. But there, in, as far as this universe is concerned, there was this thing that we refer to as the Big Bang, which seems to have been a rapid expansion of uh, the time-space continuum. Uh, with the, at the very beginning, there was a lot of uh, hydrogen and helium, the, the basic elements, and a lot of energy. Uh, not a lot of. It's not an explosion like popular uh, belief, but just a, a, a massive and rapid expansion. And uh, you know that that seems to have been what all the data points to have, uh, and our, our analysis of the data is having happened somewhere in the vicinity of 13.7 billion years ago, Mike. Okay, and um, uh, is, is the Big Bang something you, you totally believe in, or you just find that that's the most probable theory? What's your point of view there? Uh, my understanding is that uh, in terms of a scientific theory, uh, the Big Bang is supported by an overwhelming number of astrophysicists as being not only the most likely uh, scenario, but it is supported by an overwhelming amount of experimental data that it is considered uh, at the moment by the majority of astrophysicists as being, you know, fact, scientific fact. It is highly unlikely that a, an alternative theory will come along that will uh, undo all of the evidence that uh, we have that, that points to the Big Bang Theory. And, uh, and as an atheist, you are an atheist, correct? A, a militant atheist? I am a militant atheist, Mike. I think that's a good description, yes. So would you say that you're a, you 100% there's no way that there's a God. Is that your attitude? Or you're no. not sure? No. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I tend to agree with uh, Dawkins, uh, Dickie Dawkins, as my mate Father Bob calls him, that, uh, you know, there's a scale of belief. Um, you know, right up the top of that scale, you have the 100% believers in um, a god or gods uh, who say that no amount of evidence provided will ever uh, change their belief. Down the bottom of the scale, the very bottom, you have the, um, I guess, hardcore non-believers who say no amount of evidence will make them believe in a God. Um, to me, that's kind of illogical. So I say, look, um, I am, I, you know, I am open to believing if there is uh, evidence, uh, if evidence should emerge, I believe there is none currently, but if evidence should emerge that supported the theory of a God or multiple gods, I would happily uh, change my view on it. So, um, uh, but to the best of my knowledge, there is no evidence today. Secondly, to the best of my knowledge, all of the evidence that we have supports a theory of uh, completely uh, mechanic, uh, naturalist universe. And so I, I, pos I would say that I am extremely confident in the position that there are no such thing as gods. However, I uh, stand to be proven wrong if somebody can put forward, uh, you know, some evidence. Okay, how about your position on evolution? Do you, you feel that 100%, no matter what the deal is, evolution is, is, uh, is the way it happened, or are you even uh, somewhat open to that not being correct? Well, let's... let's clarify first what you mean by evolution. Are you talking about Darwin's theory of the development of life on the planet? Well, you know, we, people who believe um, in these sorts of things have really moved far beyond Darwin. Darwin started uh, the, the ball rolling, but uh, scientists have moved far beyond Darwin and have expounded infinitely more than Darwin ever could have hoped to. So, you know, I'm not going to say you, you have to adopt Darwin 100%, but, uh, but, you know, but, but Darwin's, evolution... Darwin's yeah. basic theory of evolution of species, as he put forward in The Origin of Species 150 years ago, uh, is, is still um, the model that uh, biologists agree uh, is supported by all of the new evidence that we've discovered since then. I mean, no one said, look, well, Darwin was, Darwin's idea was wrong. The theory was wrong. You know, we, we, we've, we've, we've added a lot more evidence and we understand a lot more about how evolution works than Darwin could have in his lifetime. But, you know, he was basically, you know, his model is, is essentially correct. And, yeah, I mean, if, if that's what we're talking about, again, I'm not a biologist, but my understanding from my reading of biology is that... The theory of evolution is overwhelmingly supported by the data that it is considered by the vast majority of biologists today to be a scientific fact, i.e. there is uh, almost no doubt that, uh, if any, that, that uh, evolution is the correct theory for explaining uh, how this, this multiplicity of, of life forms uh, came to be on our planet over the last four billion years. Okay. So would you say you're 100% you believe evolution is fact or do you leave room open for any serious doubt? 
more reasonable doubt. Well, as I said, I, I believe that, uh, I mean, you know, the scientific method always has room for doubt, always has room for uh, theories to be corrected by new data. But um, as I understand it, uh, evolution is considered by biologists to be um, solid, completely solid, scientific fact as much as we have facts in science. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about the scientific method is that it doesn't have a dogma apart from the scientific method itself. And uh, it, it is always open to uh, revising theories, throwing theories out and replacing them with better theories. It's the continual search for better understanding. But um, as far as biologists are concerned today, evolution is solid. I mean, it, it's just overwhelmingly supported by the huge, copious amounts of uh, research data that we now have. So it's extremely unlikely that we're ever going to uh, come up with a better theory than evolution. Okay. So uh, uh, the argument that there's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than Julius Caesar, uh, that doesn't fly for you. Because it's wrong. (laughs) So the idea that... uh, Well, well, um, that's just blatantly... Wrong. No, I understand. I, I understand. I've heard the argument. Okay. Uh, Just as long as and, we agree uh, on and that. I, um, you know, I understand where people who say that, where they're coming from, most of them are wrong and don't know what they're talking about. The ones that, that do know what they're talking about, uh, you know, they mean it in their own way. But I think I found, you know, where we can really dig into this uh, debate today. Um, I believe that the belief, especially by the scientific community, um, but uh, all those who really subscribe to this uh, extremely older and extremely uh, evolution-centric view of the world and the universe uh, and life as we know it, I believe that is just every bit as much uh, a religion as uh, Christianity, Mithras, you name it, all the other ones that, that you... Uh, believe are just ridiculous. I believe that that view of evolution uh, and the way it's approached and the beliefs that have developed from it is every bit as ridiculous as as you claim Christianity to be, for example. Even though that theory of evolution is supported by overwhelming amounts of scientific research and data, whereas Christianity is actually refuted by uh, data and, and research. Well, you know, Cameron, if you look through uh, through the past 2,000 years, uh, prior to the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, the prevailing view would be that Christianity was overwhelmingly supported by everything. And even today, uh, and, and they're, they're pretty ignorant when they're claiming this because they, they're just quoting what somebody else told them. But, you know, they would say that the argument even today for Christianity is overwhelming. The argument for the Bible being 100% the word of God is overwhelming. And, and I think uh, if you go Who back... Who would say that? Um, to eight, Who would say that? Uh, say which? That uh, the argument for Christianity is overwhelming. Who would say that? Well, the, the people of the day. In fact, uh, the, most of the, the, the leaders, the scholars, a lot of the thinkers... Uh, you know, during the, uh, I'll give you a little ammunition, during the Dark Ages, but uh, during any period since four or 500 A.D., 
if you tried to make the argument for Christianity or or against it, those those Christian leaders, when it was the prevailing view of that area, would would make the argument that there was overwhelming evidence for Christianity, and and uh, and they would assert the same thing. So just because you say that there's overwhelming evidence, I'm I'm gonna you know turn the tables on you, Cameron. You show me the overwhelming evidence that uh, instead of of a with common belief in God created things, which is an easy way to explain everything, instead of that happening, and and you like to use the term you know a, a Jewish zombie uh, who is uh, a virgin birth came down and you know did all these miraculous things, the idea that um, the entire universe sprang out of this tiny, uh, unbelievably dense uh, structure that came from we don't know where, expanded into the universe we know over billions of years, somewhere along the way, spontaneously, uh, life just sprang. And then it evolved into all these different life forms, plants, trees, animals. And, uh, and then even though we share a common ancestor, I know we didn't come right from monkeys, according to evolution, but uh, all these different life forms came up. And then we, as the complex creatures we are, I mean, literally started from this tiny little microbe or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, that sounds just as, as much fantasy as, as you would treat Christianity. On the surface, it sounds just as ridiculous. To who? Uh, well, to me, to a, to a lot of other people. Um, you know, before Darwin came up with this idea, if you would have told somebody, we came from monkeys, they would have looked at you the same way you look at Christians who, who talk about the Bible. So if you're going to say we came from, you know, primates, we came from lower life forms, and eventually just grew into what we are now, uh, you, you've got to present a case for that. And I just don't feel that there is overwhelming evidence. I think there's a lot of uh, ridiculous speculation, the foundation of which is more a desire to explain anything that doesn't involve a God than it is based on uh, reasonable, uh, conclusive data. So you're suggesting that all of the biologists, the evolutionary biologists working around the world today are delusional? Are not, their, their research isn't uh, based on hard science? Well, not to use you know, Richard Dawkins' favorite word, but uh, sure. Um, let, let, me, <laughs> let me... You got any, evidence, me... got any evidence to back that up, Mike? You know, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, start, uh, let's start narrow the, the playing field. Let's narrow the playing field first of all. The vast majority, and I, I don't want to say it's ninety percent or ninety-nine percent, but probably more than ninety-nine percent of the people out there in in schools and colleges in the scientific field, you name it, the whole group of them, however many millions or hundreds of millions uh, it may be. Most of those people were simply taught what I would call the belief system of evolution in their studies and simply carried that belief onto, into their work, no different 
than raising a child up in Christianity or any other religion. They're, everything that they, they know as a child, everything they learn, every way they look at the world is based on that belief system. And so they see the world through those eyes. So to tell me that 100 million scientists um, have done all the research to have all the conclusive evidence is ridiculous. Most of these people went to school, were taught this, and they simply regurgitate what they know. They haven't gone and done the research. They may focus in one particular area that is dependent on all these other areas to also be true. And so, yeah, maybe they have a, an incredible knowledge of, let's say, sharks. But they have no knowledge of geology or plate tectonics um, or astrophysics. They know sharks, and yet they're an evolutionist. They believe it, and now every way they look at the shark, they're looking at it from the perspective of how did evolution do this or how did evolution do that. So I think you're talking about a very small number of people who can really say they, they understand the issues and they have personally done enough investigating and compiled enough data to be able to truly uh, defend and present evidence in favor of evolution. You're talking about 99% of these people simply believe what they were told, no different than Christianity or Islam or any of the other religions in the world. Yeah, but there's a. I mean, you make some interesting points there, Mike. But you're inherently wrong, and I'll tell you why. Um, in, in a couple of areas. Number one, yes, it's it's true that when you go to university and you study to become a scientist, that there is a bunch of groundwork that have been done in the sciences, predominantly in the last few hundred years, that is kind of the canon of science. Because it's ridiculous to suggest that everyone has to go out there and redo the, the, that foundational work that has been done before us. We would never make any progress if everyone. I, I would agree. Had I to agree with that. Do I would it agree all over again. The big difference, though, between uh, students at university accepting uh, their the currently um, understood scientific theories and, and the work that's been done up until this point, and uh, the the dogma of religion is that before those scientific theories came to be accepted at all in the past, they went through a rigorous process of peer review, of debate, of lots of scientists in that time testing, retesting, arguing, you know, debating various different models of uh, various different theories that were competing theories at the time. And it went through a very rigorous process of debate, discussion, and peer review, which, which usually takes decades, if not longer, before one final theory is solid enough and is supported by enough data that it becomes the dominant theory. It's not like this kind of work didn't happen at some stage, whereas religion, there's absolutely no evidence. There's never been any work done on uh, justifying Christianity, let's pick one religion, based on hard scientific evidence and debate that can be built upon. It, it's a, it's a faith-based system, always has been. There is no scientific data to back it up. So, Okay, um, can I interrupt you there? If you must. I, I must on this one. Uh, sorry. Um, I, I'd like to ask you how 
that whole process you just described is any different than the process Christianity went through in the first 500 years when it became accepted uh, under Constantine and the different scriptures went through peer review, what would be the equivalent of peer review, over a very long period of time. And finally, they came together, the First Council of Nicaea, and, and uh, you know, decided what they're going to accept, what they're not going to accept. It was refined. It has continued to be refined over 2,000 years. Um, it's the same process that Christianity went through. People, uh, for whatever reason, when it started, had an idea in the case of Christianity, it, you know, however you uh, contend it started, it started small, it got bigger. And with uh, evolution, there was a theory. And the reason this theory caught on, in my opinion, is because there were a lot of people out there very, very excited to finally have a faith system, a belief system, that didn't include God and was able to explain things in a way that they could accept about the universe that didn't include a God and it was everyone jumping on the bandwagon and simply trying to prove that point of view from that point forward. And uh, well, it's different. Uh, I'm for, not so it's, certain. It's different in a number of ways, Mike. And let me let me tackle them uh, because they're very relevant to any understanding of the scientific method. Um, they're, they're different primarily because, again, scientific theories such as evolution were originally developed because of, you know, in Darwin's case evidence that he was uh, amassing while he was uh, in Galapagos Islands um, and, and work that had been done by people like um, his uh, grandfather before him, there was, there was a, a whole bunch of data, scientific data, scientific research that these theories had been based on and that was uh, applied to these theories by many, many people over a long period of time before they became acknowledged as a successful Theory. The Christianity, on the other hand, wasn't based on any scientific research or competing um, uh, analysis of what really happened. There was no evidence, you know, in the early fourth century around Constantine's time that, that backed up the science of Christianity. There wasn't any more evidence then, then than there is today, which is still none. So, one, one, the theory of evolution is based on evidence, data, and science. The other, Christianity, is based on no evidence, data, or science. It's just a, it's a belief system that was adopted by a large group of people, but it wasn't based on data or critical thinking or, or, or any sort of scientific research. You know, and, and this is a fundamental difference with a viewpoint about how do we determine truth? And this is, this is my main argument against religion. There are a million different possibilities of what might be true you know we might have maybe there is a yawa who is a god maybe there's uh you know any one of the canon gods from the uh, greek religions roman religions norse religions the aboriginal god systems you know there, there might be flying spaghetti monster there might be unicorns there might be vampires and werewolves the 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 number of human ideas about what exists and how the world works over the last 10,000 years is massive. Our job, if we are to uh, be responsible human beings, I, I believe, is to try and work out which of those ideas might be true, are most likely to be true, and which are most likely to not be true. How do we do that? 
How do we discern which of the millions of millions of ideas are likely to be correct and which are most likely to be incorrect? Now, the only rational way of doing that that I can see is to see which theories are supported by the evidence, by the data, and which theories are not supported by evidence and data. That's the only rational way of determining which ideas are likely to be correct and which ideas are likely to be incorrect. Now, so what's, your, what's the evidence? Well, I'm happy to apply this model. I, I mean, uh, do you agree with that as a model for determining which ideas are likely to be correct, or do you have a better way of, de- of determining which ideas are right and which ideas are wrong? No, I don't have a problem with the scientific method. I think it's, it's a very good method. I think it's not perfect. Um, the, the main thing I have a problem with with the scientific method is it's, it's failure to consider by its nature, and explicitly it says so, uh, supernatural things or anything that is not, uh, you know, provable, um, it, it, it doesn't even allow it to be considered. But otherwise, I, I don't have a problem with the scientific method. Well, well hold on, hold um, on. And I don't have a problem with silence. Right. Well, 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 let's yeah. well, let's talk about that. I mean, if something is supernatural, what you're essentially saying is there is no evidence to support it, which puts it into the category of things that we're trying to determine here. I mean, if we agree that the only way to determine which ideas are likely to be correct and which aren't is to look for evidence to support those ideas, anything which is supernatural, by definition, has no evidence to support it. If it did, it would be natural. Um, so that's exactly the sort of thing that we're using the scientific method to weed out. Which ideas are supported um, by evidence and which aren't? I, I almost want to say that that's semantics. Um, are, are UFOs real? 100% or not? Are UFOs real? Uh, best I can say is that we have no evidence to support the theories of uh, you know, visiting You're- alien uh, species. Okay, but UFOs are real. UFOs are unidentified flying objects. Uh, it's semantics. Um, what those UFOs are is, is really the debate. UFOs are real. So to say that uh, it, it can't consider something supernatural because in order to be supernatural, by definition, it has to be something that's, uh, I guess, essentially not possible. Uh, you know, you look at, um, well, not, at research not, on... Not, on not, not, not possible, just we don't have any evidence to support it. This, but this science is, won't even consider that as a possibility. Of course it will. The scientific method. Of course it will. Uh, it will say, what evidence do we have to... I mean, this is what we're talking about. Out of all of the possible things that might exist, all of the plethora of ideas that humans have come up with over the last 10,000 years... Which of those are likely to be true and which are likely to be false? And what I'm saying to you is the, you know, the only way that I'm aware of of trying to of accurately and all accurately being able to determine which are likely to be true and which are likely to be false is to look for evidence, to use a, a, a repeatable methodology to determine which ideas are supported by evidence and which ideas aren't. Now, okay. if well, I, something I mean, is, I can accept that. That's if not some, a problem. Okay, well, if something is supernatural, it is, by definition, unsupported by evidence. Uh, I, I would disagree. I think there's a lot of supernatural phenomena in the, in the world that um, 
you know, there's there's Give me an unsubstantiated uh, thing. Well, you know, anything from ghost sightings to uh, um, uh, I'm having a little bit of a brain freeze here, but the the various um, mental uh, powers, telekinesis, telepathy. Uh, well, exactly, exactly those. Well, uh, those they, kind of things. Well, hold even on. the soul, even the concept of the soul, would probably have to be supernatural. Well, you'd have to give it? me a definition of the soul first. No one's ever been able to give me one. But here's the. I mean, I've actually had. Um, do you ever listen to my interview with Dr. Susan Blackmore? Uh, topic was what? Free will, actually. Yeah, I did, and I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> well, Susan, uh, that's beside the point. I mean, for the first 25 years of Susan's uh, career as a scientist, she was studying um, uh, phenomenon such as telekinesis and astral travel yeah. and all of these sorts of things because she was a believer, yeah. and she was trying to find evidence to support one of those theories. And after 25 years of research, she concluded there was no evidence to support any of those things, and she she thought she'd better spend the rest of her life doing something worthwhile. Um, but, you know, the, the whole idea of supernatural is that it's not supported by evidence. I mean, if, it is, if there is evidence to support it, then it is natural. I mean, if we can test for it, if we can measure it, then it is, by definition, natural, right? It, it's, it's something that occurs within haven't our you, universe. Haven't you ever seen Ghost Hunters? Cameron? Uh, somebody tried to show me that show once, and I said, <laughs> I, I, my, my time was uh, better spent eating my own toenails. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I hate that show, too. But, you know, there, there really is a lot out there that obviously is fake, but there's a lot out there that, that probably has not been uh, properly and comprehensively researched, I'm... either because... Uh, they don't want to spend the money or take the time. I mean, there's people out okay, there that it, go look for Bigfoot on the sure, weekend. Sure, but it, that doesn't uh, make that doesn't make those things supernatural. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. There are there are plenty of things out there that that you know haven't uh, been researched thoroughly or, or, or enough. And um, you look, see, here's again one of my common positions on all of this stuff. I would love for UFOs to be true. I would love for ghosts to be true. Vampires, werewolves. Frickin' unicorns, Bigfoot, Atlantis, I would love. Nothing would make me happier than for all of those things to be true because it would make the world such a, a much more interesting place, including Jesus and God. In fact, all of the gods, I would love for them to all be true because it would make everything so much more interesting. Who wouldn't want to live in eternity in heaven at the right hand of the Lord? And, uh, you know, sign me up. I would love for all of that to be true. However, you know, as I tell my kids, well, you're either going to believe in everything, every idea that humans have ever had, and you're going to worship all gods equally, you're going to submit to all ideas equally, which doesn't seem very practical, or you're going to use some methodology to determine which of those ideas are likely to be correct and which of those are likely to be false. Now, if you have a better way of doing that than the scientific method, tell me about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm more than happy to accept the scientific method as the, the, the best tool that we do have. Okay. But so let's apply that, that so tool let's apply that. to the theory of evolution. Where's your evidence? What is the evidence? Let's look at it. <laughs> really? We're going to go into depth on yeah, really. the evidence? Give me some idea. I mean, if you believe in it, you must have seen some evidence somewhere. 
I'd be yeah. happy to shoot that evidence down when you present it. Oh, okay. Well, that's 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 uh, should be fun. Um, okay. Well, uh, where do we start? Um, well, I guess let's look at DNA. Let's look at the the commonality of DNA across uh, all living organisms. I mean, uh, uh, okay. scientists will tell us that the best explanation from a, a best scientific explanation for uh, the the commonality of DNA is that we all had a common ancestor that our DNA emerged uh, out of going back a long time ago. Well, let me ask you, and I, I don't actually know the answer to this question, uh, does rock have DNA? Uh, no. DNA is something contained within living organisms. Okay, well, um, so rock is a non, non-living organism. Uh, trees and plants have DNA? Yes. Okay. And, uh, mm, okay, so a very, and I'm, I'm not making this up as I go, but uh, <laughs> as far as DNA, you know, having an explanation for DNA, uh, that is certainly a theory that that has some legs, but it's by no means the only uh, answer. Uh, you could say, um, you know, living things uh, recreate. Living things uh, are, are have pale skin um, or have hair. So, for some reason, where there's a commonality there, or they're all blue. Um, if if we're living and we're made out of DNA, uh, I don't see why the fact that a another creature has slightly different DNA but still has different DNA, I don't see why that's such a big deal. Uh, that something that is, you know, looks relatively similar to us, similar to us has DNA that's uh, what are uh, primates like ninety eight percent human DNA. Yeah. Or something like that, we, they we, say. We, we okay. share, well, humans and chimpanzees, Homo sapiens and chimpanzees share something like 98% DNA. Right. Well, we also, I believe, we're 80% water. Last I, I took a, at a science fair, I was told that. By mass. When they fried a hot dog for us. Yeah, so our mass is, is made up of water. Uh, all, all In general, we're all carbon-based organisms, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and when it comes down to it, the whole uh, universe is made out of molecules. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that the fact that I have DNA and an ape has DNA and a whale has DNA is any evidence that specifically points to the fact that we all had a common ancestor. No, it's not just that we I all... I think... Mike, it's not... Okay, so what's your next one? What's your Mike, next thing? Mike, uh, it, it, we're yeah. not saying that it's because we all have DNA. It's because we all have essentially the same DNA. A human and but, a whale and a chimp and a bird and a horse and <laughs> fish. We all have essentially... Well, we don't have, we don't have identical DNA. No, no, but our, we D- have, our DNA is very, very similar, We which... The, ex- the best explanation of that is that we all have a common ancestor. There's, a, there's an ancestral gene pool throughout all living organisms on this planet because our DNA is very, very similar, very similar across all living organisms. Um, I, I would just argue that that's simply um, a statement of fact as opposed to a, a guiding 
a principle or fact that well, points in a direction. I don't see it right, pointing right, right. in a direction by it itself. It does. It, the, well, the, the fact is that all living organisms have similar DNA, very, very similar construction. Genes uh, are manufactured with the same amino acid codes, uh, you know, the same chromosomes from, from um, you know, one animal to another animal. So there's possible, you know, what are the possible explanations for that? Scientific explanations. One, that they developed independently of each other and just happened to develop the exact same uh, chromosomes completely independently, perhaps. But when you see gene after gene after gene after gene after gene that are identical across species, uh, you know, uh, statistically highly improbable that we all independently developed exactly the same genes for producing eyes or toes or vertebrae or whatever it is. You know, the, the, the better explanation is that we all come from a common ancestor that developed these genes and, you know, we've, we've diversified over an extremely long period of time and, and maintained these, these common genes. So the fact is that we have very, very similar DNA. The best theory for explaining that is that we all had a common ancestor, unless you have a better theory for explaining you know, well, genetic well, I, commonality. I think another theory as to how that would happen, and, it, and I'll use my basis for the theory simply that uh, the vast majority of people on the earth in their own way believe this and have for unknown number of years that, that there was a supernatural being that uh, you know, created the world at some point and uh, the genetic code was the means by which, um, you know, we were created and to continue creating. And, okay, and but you agreed with me earlier. from that point. You agreed with me earlier that the scientific method was the best way for determining fact from fiction. So let's apply that to the supernatural being that you say was at the beginning of this. Where is the evidence for the, the scientific evidence for your supernatural being? Is there any? Well, there is... There is one uh, one thing I don't think uh, I don't think you can run away from, and yet I think uh, people who postulate the theory of evolution really uh, try to shrug this off, and I, I think it's more important than that. Um, there had to be a beginning of this Earth at some point, and the idea that it came from a Big Bang—that sounds good. A lot of a lot of uh, fundamental Christians are happy to accept the Big Bang Theory as long as, you know, the idea is that God created the Big Bang. But before the Big Bang, when uh, you theoretically we're all combined into this incredibly dense ball uh, somehow, what came before that? What created that? And I, and I think it's, um, it's a paradox to say that things had a creation, and yet how could something not not have a creation? I mean, there's it, it's very difficult to wrap your head around. In fact, I would say it's impossible for us to understand the concept of what Christians would call eternity past. There had to be something before that. And from a philosophical point of view, a god, whatever god, seems to make a lot more sense as to how that could be and, and who created then God? The, well, but who created the, everything in the Big Bang? Uh, God, since God theoretically can do things that are, don't need an explanation or, or are unexplainable, 
and, and what's on the edge of what space? Came, Those what, kinds of Mike, bigger what, questions, what came before, God answers better than what, evolution. What came before God? That's the paradox. No, that's, a, that's if, if if you're saying what what came before the universe, and you know, as I started off at the beginning of this discussion, saying uh, you know, from my understanding, the current data that astrophysicists have is that our universe was uh, possibly created inside of a parent universe, and that there are infinite universes um, out there, of which ours is just uh, one. That was a, a, a time space fluctuation. In another universe, but they're still they're still trying to get their head around that. But there's you know quite a bit of data coming in. Um, there's there's an un, that's an unanswered question that we can't answer. That's not, and, no, and I no, think just that's not true. We, we we can't answer it today, but um, you know it's something that we're we're working on answering. But you know at least the uh, Big Bang theory is supported by evidence. Um, your supernatural creator theory is not supported by evidence. And this comes back to the fundamental issue that I thought we agreed on before. The number of ideas that humans have ever had to explain things is next to infinite. Are we going to believe in all of them equally? Or are we going to, are we going to look for those that are supported by evidence and you know, work with those? You have to take a position on that. You can't say, yes, I agree with the scientific method, but I'll just choose to believe in one particular supernatural theory because it seems to fit nicely. If you're going to believe in supernatural theories and say a theory is not supported by evidence are fine in my world, you have to agree with all of the supernatural theories equally. Are you going to do that? Is that how you're going to live your life? Or just pick the one um, that happens to suit the particular geography that you were born in at a particular time. And seems to be socially acceptable in northwest of the United States in the early 21st century. Well, you know, I, I think I think it, it seems that that makes a good point. And you know, certainly you do make a valid point with are you going to believe in uh, a bit of everything? But um, nevertheless, it seems like almost by default the theory of evolution and the theory uh, that that we're talking about here is like the the opposite of all the other explanations. It's the, the literal, okay, there's a God and God did this or that, um, or which God it might be. <clears throat> the theory of evolution is simply <clears throat> the opposite of that. And the conclusions that come from that are simply the opposite of God. It's the anti-God belief system. And uh, because it's the only, um, the only way to explain it is to say whatever those things are, we're not. But Mike, uh, that's that's just inherently wrong. The theory of evolution didn't wasn't wasn't uh, developed because somebody sat down and thought, how can we c come up with a theory that's the opposite of everything that people believe today? It is supported by overwhelming amounts of okay. scientific data. Overwhelming amounts. Okay. I mean, you, well, you, you pointed out the genetic code, which is a very complex thing to understand. But what's more? Give me more than just the genetic code. Because the genetic code alone is, a, you know, to me, as a, as a lay person who you know, I believe I'm intelligent enough to, to consider evidence, it, it doesn't convince me simply that we all have similar DNA, that, uh, that we all came from the same uh, spark of life. So what's the other overwhelming evidence? 
Well, we have evil, uh, you know, evidence from paleontology. You know, we can look back in the, the fossil record and we can see um, uh, progression, um, what they would call transitional fossils. Um, I think the best one that we have, uh, the best fossil record that we have for, for transitional um, uh, development of a species is the evolution of the horse. We've got a terrific, um, complete fossil record of the evolution of the horse that we've taken from, you know, rock strata going back hundreds of millions of years. Um, uh, that, that shows us that with that one particular species, it's very evident what the, what the evolutionary record is. We, we, and we have that, you know, to less complete levels, um, for, for many other species we can see them in their early formations 50 100 million years ago and we can you know we can see in the fossil record how they've progressed now you know that that is overwhelming evidence that species develop based on you know combination of natural selection and and uh genetic uh, mutation well let's let's talk about that for a minute that's that's a good place to continue uh, first of all, I want to make it clear for those listeners who might not understand this, there is a huge difference between microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution is, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, kind of like dog breeding. You've got different breeds of dogs. Uh, you continue to breed different types of dogs into that line, and over a couple hundred years, you end up with a very different type of dog, you can breed long ears, aggressive nature, passive nature. There's all kinds of uh, ways that you can have varieties of a particular species. Uh, there are Shetland ponies, there are um, uh, Arabian horses, there are uh, Clydesdale horses, very different types of horses. Um, and so that's something that I accept, that's something that's widely accepted by creationists that microevolution exists. The macroevolution part is where, uh, you know, whales eventually evolved into horses, which eventually evolved into people, or something along that nature, where you've got interspecies uh, transitions, or transitioning from one completely different species into another over a period of time. So my first argument is going to be, uh, with paleontology and the, uh, the different strata that you find these creatures in, I don't have a problem that it shows a progression of types of horses, uh, you know, over a period of time. My, my biggest, I've got two main points here. Number one, the, the rock layers that we find around the world are not one even rock layer. It's not exactly like a tree ring. Different areas have different types of layers. They have uh, layers that are broken up, layers that have shifted, that have come from different angles. Plate tectonics has played a role in that. But the biggest problem is what you just quoted. Well, at 50 million years, 100 million years, how do you know that it's 50 million years uh, or 100 million years old? So that's speculation, and it's nothing more than speculation. It's, it's not evidence. It's an interpretation which uh, I have serious issues with. And if you take that incorrect assumption and multiply that over all the different things that scientists look at, I think you, you end up with a very wrong conclusion at the end because um, it's making assumptions. You're saying you don't believe in radiocarbon dating? The scientists know 
radiocarbon dating is very unreliable. They don't want to be using it. And its, it's uses are very limited, uh, very broad. They, my understanding is, and again, I'm not speaking as a scientist who can tell you everything there is to know about radiocarbon dating. My understanding is it's not really useful for anything over 100,000 years, but even in short periods of time, even in periods of time where they've got a pretty good idea, uh, radiocarbon dating is inaccurate. Um, I know that I have been uh, trained or in my education, I have been shown examples where radiocarbon dating was used on live creatures and it, it came up with dates for thousands of years old and where it was used on things that we know are just a couple hundred years old as a fact and it, it showed many thousands of years old. And, and I've got one major issue with radiocarbon dating and, and apply the scientific method here. Just because... Uh, somebody said, hey, radiocarbon dating is going to date this for us because of the, the breakdown in the radioactive material over a period of time, or uh, the radiation, I believe. Um, that applies times every single year that we've been here. So let's just do some quick math. Oh, we've been here 100, you know, this is 100 million years old. If you went outside and just watched the ground, uh, and I asked you for water, uh, water flow levels. Well, if you go out on a sunny day where nothing's happening, you might say there's no water flow. You go out there in the middle of a torrential downpour, you might say there's an incredible amount of water flow. Depending on the day and the time, things change. With radiocarbon dating, in my mind, if we're using the scientific method, then we can only apply the 100 or 200 years that we've had this technique so we can compare it against things that we know the breakdown, how it occurs. If you take that 200 years and then do some simple math and apply it over 14 billion year period, I think it's ridiculous to assume that those figures and rates are going to maintain the same exact or, or very close to it um, statistics on, on, on how old things are or the same, same uh, values to each other. Uh, it, it's just not a valid um, way to do things. And scientists are getting away from that. They're looking uh, to develop other forms of dating. They are developing other forms of dating that they're hoping are more accurate. But the bottom line is we don't have anything that we can prove as a million years old other ways to compare to validate the test. We don't have it. My phone's ringing. Um, Mike, I mean, that's just... Okay, if we get back to our discussion before about uh, the scientific method versus non-scientific methods for determining what's likely to be correct and what's likely to be incorrect. Um, scientists have a range of ways of, of working out how old the Earth is, how old different stratas of rock are, not just you know carbon-14, but there's a lot of other methods um, that they've developed today, luminescence, dating, etc., um, but the point is, is that we do have, uh, you know, lots of scientists around the world, geologists that are uh, figuring out a variety of ways to date these different rock stratas, date the Earth. Are we going to accept the views of the scientific community on the accuracy of these methods or not? Well, let me let me tell you from my life experience. It's an 
that's kind of her. And I, I was, uh, I've got a background in law enforcement and uh, I have a background in investigation. And I can tell you when it comes to doing an investigation in like a, a murder scene, uh, where the CSI type investigation, uh, certainly we've had a lot more ability to observe things and compare in the past well, several hundred years that we've really been refining our skills there. And it's still by no means a perfect science to date bones, to date bodies, corpses. But there are things that we can use to date them. For instance, the, uh, the, the stage that maggots and larvae and, and other kinds of creatures or um, other types of organic growth in a, in a corpse, uh, you're going to be able to say, okay, this, this body has to be at least seven days decomposed, this seven days old for this to happen, or two weeks or a month, or you don't see this occurring before, before that. There's a lot of that that we can use. And even with all of that, there's a lot of uh, generalities. There's a, a very wide range of possibilities. Uh, rigor mortis takes, you know, a 12 to 24 hours, I believe, to, to run its cycle. So uh, if rigor mortis is present, we know it's been dead at least this long, but probably no more than that long. But it's still a very wide range of margin. That's for bodies that are very recently deceased. A skeleton can be stripped of almost all organic material in a matter of weeks, depending on the, the area it's set in. Once you get past that point, the technology we have today starts to become much more limited in how we can predict uh, how old something is using methods that we know work. Once you go beyond that, you start getting into radiocarbon dating and other things which we know are not that reliable. If you take our margin for error, just in the technology we know for a fact we've got a handle on, and multiply that times a million, the margin for error is just enormous. And that's assuming that our climate on Earth is relatively been consistent. The atmospheric pressure has been relatively consistent because when you change atmospheric pressure, you change all kinds of things. I mean, your blood can boil with a change in atmospheric pressure. Okay, Mike, so, with, with, with a view yeah. to keeping a handle on the time, mate, that's not answering my question. My question was, are we going to accept scientific consensus on dating methodologies or not? The scientific consensus if it arises from speculation or a lack of evidence, and then we, we frame it as scientific fact or reliability, well, that's it, not, it invalidates everything else. That's not science, Mike. If, so, it's, if, it, if it's coming out of speculation, it's, it's not science. We're talking about... I would agree, but that's what's happening. That's no, what that's, happens not, that's not what's happening. With a lot of this stuff. That's not what's happening. Absolutely. That's absolutely not what's happening. I mean, there, you, you're, you're basically denigrating an entire... Uh, scientific field and in order to do that and that's fine I'm happy for you to say that the entire uh, 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 field of geologists working in the world today are wrong and are full of bunk but in order to do that you've got to provide some alternative evidence and you and I both know that over the last decade uh, creationists in your country have gone to the courts to try and build a credible case against evolution 
uh, with the purpose of the Kansas School Board trying to teach creationism alongside evolution in the schools. And it's been shot down by the courts because there, there is no scientific argument against uh, evolution. So in order for you to... You know, I mean, I'm happy for you to say that you know, uh, geological dating of the Earth is completely bunk. But in order to do that, you've got to put together a scientific argument for that. Otherwise, you know, it's a waste of time. Well, the scientific argument is, and I, again, I compare this to how you, you've taken a Christianity, which has you know, over a billion people uh, who, billion who had people. faith in Christianity. Two billion. Yeah, yeah I, I believe it is. Um, you take that group of people and say, well, they're, you know, none of all they're deluded. Well, most of them. And I can back that up with. Simply been following. I can I'm back, not going to argue with you. I can back that up with you. Can you can you back up? I I agree. No, I agree with you there. And can you back up that, that geologists are all deluded with evidence? Well, let me just narrow the argument real quick. Two billion Christians. How many of those Christians have any real expert level knowledge of even the things they believe in, oh, whether like or not them. you believe it's true? All of them. Well. Yeah, why, I mean, why are they Christians are, if they if they don't have expert knowledge on Christianity? Uh, because they have blind faith. There's a very small number of Christians out there that have actually gone out, and it, whether they're wrong or not is not my point. That have gone out and done research for themselves as to why they believe. There's a very small number, and in the scientific community, you, you, you're making a big deal that you know I'm I'm uh, criticizing this massive group of geologists. In reality, what I believe is a massive group of, of geologists went to school and were taught these theories, and, which uh, were created by a very small number of people who made we, assumptions. But, Mike, and, no, they didn't make assumptions. Yeah. Mike, look, we, we talked about this before. I mean, you, you are, you're making some really, really um, uh, uh, troubling uh, statements about science and the history of the scientific community there. And, I, and you know, this really bothers me, and I think... You know, to me, this points to the fundamental lack of understanding in the general populace about science and the history of science and how science works as a, as a community of, of you know research professionals. And and I think that's one of the reasons why we, you know Christianity survives in your country in particular, Dave, because the uh, your education system is so fundamentally broken when it comes to teaching science that. Uh, you know, people don't understand it. Let, I mean, let me go over this again. The, you, you're, you're absolutely correct in saying that the, the current generation of scientists go to school, go to university, they're taught the prevailing scientific theorems. Now, these uh, sometimes change. I remember when I, went to, uh, when I uh, went to high school, I was taught that the brain does not change. Once you become an adult, the brain is basically immutable. It doesn't change, which we obviously know today is in totally incorrect that was the prevailing scientific theorem only you know 25 years ago so we we are taught these things but these um scientific theories that we are taught in school or you're taught at university weren't just developed out of thin air by a group of people and somebody decided yeah that sounds good enough let's run with that in their day they were debated they they were alternate alternate theories that were debated and the eventual successful theory, where there is one, was, was uh, you know became the successful theory because it was supported by most of the evidence and most of the scientists working that field accepted it as being the prevailing theory of the time. 
However, so f- first of all, that's how it works. It's not that just people sit, you know, one guy comes up with an idea and everyone else goes, yeah, uh, that sounds good enough. Let's run with that. It, it, it's, it's, it's much more rigorous, much more rigorous and peer reviewed from that. And in fact, the way that incentives work in the scientific community, you get the most kudos. You win the prizes and the awards and you get a chair at a university and you win the Nobel Prize if you can successfully overturn the prevailing theory. If you're the scientist, the guy or the girl that comes along and shoots down in flames last year's or last century's theory successfully and can back that up with new evidence or a better interpretation of the existing evidence, that's how you win kudos. You win kudos in the scientific community by proving theories wrong. Okay. Can I respond to that? Well, yeah, but I, I want to make sure that we have, we're very clear here that this is how science works. It's by a bunch of people arguing for a very long time about the facts and interpreting those facts, and eventually, over a long period of time, a certain theory you know, will, will become the, the, the most accepted theory. But everyone else who comes along after that, if they spot a flaw in that theory, they're going to go in and tear it apart because that's how you make a career. It's not that everyone just takes what they were told and go, yeah, that sounds good enough. Let's, let's move with that. I mean, if, if the, I mean, we see this all the time. We're seeing this today with string theory. I mean, people have been working on string theory for 25 years and there's about a thousand million different models for string theory, but the evidence doesn't support all of them or any of them. All of the evidence doesn't support any of them. So there's a huge amount of debate. There's even people like Lee Schmolen saying maybe we've been wasting the last 25 years. Maybe string theory is completely wrong. Um, and maybe we've just, you know, wasted the last 25 years of physics. I mean, the, the science is an incredibly rigorous profession as opposed to religion, which is, again, based on absolutely no rigorous or critical thinking, no, no, you know, scientific thinking whatsoever. Sorry, your turn. Okay. Uh, let me just explain a little bit of, of how I approached uh, Christianity, and I'll, I'll be very brief on this. And and I'll give you one example of scientific research that really made me start questioning things, and I'm going to apply it to the scientific community. Uh, first of all, I started researching my beliefs in Christianity, which I was very fundamental growing up. And as I went along and I saw inconsistencies or things made me wonder, uh, I decided that there had been an evolution in Christianity. Now, I'm not going to debate at this point whether Jesus lived or not, but from what the Christian beliefs were in the first century A.D. to where they are now has evolved so incredibly uh, into the different denominations, denominations splitting from there, and then going on to these splinter groups that are so fringe in such radical excuse me, radical beliefs that it made me dump everything I knew and at the very least, go study the early Christians to try and get to the bottom of at least what they believed so I could throw away all the crap that's accumulated uh, over the centuries. And it is a lot of crap. And I've, I have really deconstructed my belief system uh, almost completely based on doing that research. So here's my scientific example. This is a very simple one, and anybody in the medical field can relate to this. Uh, have you had CPR training? 
Uh, no, not Camp. really. A little bit, but not much. Okay. Well, uh, people who do CPR training, and that's pretty much everyone in the medical field and quite a lot of other people, uh, I've done it, I've probably been certified 20 times in it. One year, you would be, uh, when you're giving rescue breathing, they would say, well, you give two short breaths. Well, it's two long breaths. And the next year, it's back to two short breaths. And the year after that, we're going to go to three breaths or one breath. Or, and every year that they did this, they gave a really um, good reason as to why it needed to be this way and why we changed from the year before. And the next year, they change it, and, and then it just keeps on going and going and going. And it finally makes you come to the conclusion that they either don't know what they're talking about or it doesn't matter. But whatever they're selling me, it's a bunch of bunk. So let's go to the scientific community. If you look at the ideas that we've got in the scientific community, again, there's an evolution. There's the start of it, and then there's you know the, that smaller group of people that first hear about it. They get the idea, and uh, they do your peer review, and they run with it, and then it, it spreads out from there. Well, in the history of the known history of the world, we've got many cycles in many different cultures of ideas starting with a very small group. Maybe one person comes up with an idea, it spreads, and it becomes widely accepted, and it balloons out from there. And then after, uh, whether it's a few decades or a few hundred years or even a thousand years, some other idea comes along and it goes through the same process. Well, my argument to you is that in the scientific community, it's happened in many other areas. Certainly has happened in the medical field. Uh, I don't know if it's Isaac Newton. I think it was, but at one point they thought if the human body moved more than 45 miles per hour, your heart would stop. There's lots of scientific theories that, you know, had been widely accepted at one point and then fell to the wayside. Well, when you take geology... Uh, wait, wait, wait. You, you started, somebody, you started yeah. off this rant by telling me about how you came to be a Christian. Are you still, talk, yeah. are you still telling that story? Uh, well, no, I'm just relating what, it. What happened to that the, story? Uh, the idea of getting to the... getting <laughs> um, It's simply getting to the base the fundamental, the root of where this thought process, where this line of thinking came from. So when we go to geology and we look at this million-year theory, and I'm not preaching a, a young earth. I don't know. I wasn't there. It, there's a lot of reasons to not believe in a young earth theory. Um, uh, but you've got geologists who are looking at the rocks and looking at everything else. And it, at some point in the past 200 years, somebody said, you know what? Maybe this is a lot older than we thought. And, and uh, don't quote me on what year somebody came up with this idea. Maybe this is a lot older than we thought. And they took this idea, and they shared it with some peers, and some peers said, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. And they came up with an idea of how old they thought it was, and then they worked on it and worked on it, and it spread out from there, and it built. And what I have seen in simply my lifetime is the age of the Earth go from uh, maybe two or three or four billion years old in the 80s, to uh, 14 billion years old, and no, it's no. an evolution no, no, no. building on these ideas. The, the Earth, the Earth is currently thought to be about you know four and a half billion years old. Um, the universe is considered to be thirty. Oh, excuse me, excuse billion. me, excuse me. Yeah, but th what you're explaining oh. is why science is so terrific. And I thought we'd already agreed, like uh, 45 minutes ago, that the scientific method was the best way that we had of determining what's likely to be correct and incorrect. But you, you, you seem to right. be backtracking on that, and well, now you don't accept the no, scientific here's, method. Here's my final point. 
you take an, an argument like uh, any kind of religious argument back in the Dark Ages, when to say anything contrary would have been heresy, you, your life certainly was at risk, uh, people didn't come up with too many ideas back then because it wasn't popular. People didn't question those fundamental beliefs. My opinion that geologists, you know, looked at the Earth, they, they certainly wanted to explain things in a way uh, that, that was not reflective of the biblical tradition, and there's good reason for that. And they came up with a theory, and it's run its course, and people have done research, and there's certainly, it's very easy to point at a mountain, to point at the geologic record and say, this had to take uh, an incredibly long period of time. For a scientist to stand up today and say, hey, what if it's not billions of years old? What if it's only, you know, 100,000 years old? They would be laughed out of the scientific, scientific community so quickly. There really isn't effective peer review against the accepted beliefs that have already been created, even though, and I believe this, that the geologic record certainly could have been created the way we see it in a much shorter time frame than uh, the millions and millions of years. And that's why we see scientists constantly correcting things. There's a lot of things that they say because they contend it just couldn't be any other way. Mike, I, sorry, Without having sorry, evidence. sorry, Mike. I mean, that's, it's just, you know, it's just so completely misinformed that, that I worry for you. Seriously, I'm, I'm getting ready to call 911 and, and have them send some people over <laughs> to uh, sedate you. I mean, as I explained before, the, the scientific community is built on pulling down existing theories with better data and, 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 or better interpretation of existing data. And, of course, every year that goes by, we have better tools, more refined tools. We have the freaking Hubble Space Telescope that we didn't have a century ago, and we can see back to almost the dawn of the universe with the Hubble Space Telescope. You know, we have ways of studying uh, atomic decay, radioactive decay of atoms and working out how old the Earth is and how old different parts of the Earth are. We have a better understanding of how planets are created and how long that process takes. I mean, we, we, we witness nebulae, we witness gas clouds out in the universe, and we have you know, very well-developed theories about how planets form from gas clouds and the amount of time it must take for that kind of superheated gas to condense and form solids and then cool down to where it can create an atmosphere. I mean, we're talking about a huge amount of work that has been done by scientists over centuries and that is completely um, open to new interpretations with new data every year to basically just suggest that the scientific community are a bunch of religious wackos who just accept what they're told, A, demonstrates a complete you know, disregard for the scientific community that shocks me, but B, just a fundamental misunderstanding about the way that people make their name, the way that incentives work. See, in the religious um, communities, uh, you, you're, the, the way incentives work in the Catholic Church is to agree with everything you're being told. That's how you rise up through the ranks. It doesn't work that way in the scientific community. If, if you just agree with what every other physicist says, 
You don't make a name for yourself. You make a name for yourself in the scientific community by saying, you know what, you're all wrong and I'm going to prove it. And proving it, you've got to be able to prove it, obviously. You've got to, you've got to have better data. That's, how you, that's why science, and I thought, again, we've agreed on this a couple of times, that's why the scientific method is the only, you know, uh, or the, certainly the best way, if not the only way, of determining what's fact and, and what's fiction is because it's based on data and, you know, interpretation of the data and then peer review of that. And we've just got overwhelming stories of this happening time after time after time, Mike, where there was a prevailing theory and somebody came along and said, you know what, you're all wrong. And yeah, they get laughed at and they're told they're stupid and they go, you know what, fuck you, I'm going to prove it. And then they go out there and they put, they write a paper and everyone laughs at the paper. I mean, this happened with Einstein, for Christ's sakes, a century ago. This happened with... Um, you know, the quantum physicists, they were laughed at by Einstein, for fuck's sake. I mean, but they stuck to it and they had their data and they backed it up and even, even Einstein didn't want to accept that qu- the quantum physicists could be right. But now everyone believes in quantum physics because the data is overwhelming, even though it goes completely against our, 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 um, intuition of Newtonian physics, it's just impossible to deny that something really creepy is going on at the quantum level. To say that science doesn't overturn pre-existing theories is just wrong. You've, you've, you've rattled off a bunch of examples yourself about how prevailing theories have been overturned. Then to turn around and say, well, it's just a big religion and everyone just agrees with everyone is just fundamentally incorrect, yeah. Mike. Well, well, it's not that they agree with everybody, but there's a couple, uh, uh, would it be, um, it's not a holy cow, uh, there's, uh, there are certain things you don't touch. You, you, when Bullshit. When it comes to fundamental religion. Well, no, no, no. I mean, when there's, there's some things people Bullshit. don't, don't like to go Bullshit. in certain areas. And to question the age of the earth. Bullshit. Significantly to scientists, it's not acceptable to even question like, it. You said before that in your lifetime, our theories on the age of the Earth have um, increased dramatically. I mean, um, I'm looking up. I'm trying to Google it. There, but I, you know, I think so like at the beginning of the 20th century, it was considered that the Earth might be 10 million years old, and then 100 million years old. And you know, uh, as we've got better and better tools and better and better um, ways of of interpreting the data that we've developed in the 20th and now the 21st century. Uh, theories on that have changed half a dozen times, if not more. So to say that that's something that's untouchable is just ridiculous. You know that that's incorrect. Well, uh, you know, I, I, my argument is that the Here, scientific sorry, I've got, community... I've got Wikipedia open in front of me. Let me read you what Wikipedia says on the age sorry. of Earth. In 1862, the physicist William Thompson, who later became Lord Kelvin of Glasgow published calculations that fixed the age of the Earth at between 20 million and 400 million years. So that was, what, 140-odd years ago. He assumed the Earth had been created as a completely molten ball of rock and determined the amount of time it took for the ball to cool to its present temperature. Geologists had trouble accepting such a short age for the Earth. Biologists could accept the Earth might have a finite age, but even 100 million years seemed much too short to be plausible. But that's what he said, and Lord Kelvin was, you know, it was a big deal. The German physicist Hermann von Helmholtz in 1856 and Canadian astronomer Simon Newcomb in 1892 contributed their own calculations of 22 and 18 million years, respectively. 
Um, then uh, Charles Darwin's son, George H. Darwin, at the University of Cambridge, suggested that it would be 56 million years. That was um, in 1897. Then around about 1900, John Jolly of the University of Dublin came up with 80 to 100 million years. So, okay, turn of the century, people were still saying 80 to 100 million years, right? Um, Then we invented radiometric data in the early part of the 20th century. That pushed it out to between 250 million to 1.3 billion years. That was on Boltwood's, uh, some of Boltwood's original uh, radiometric experiments. And then um, in the 20s, they were using um, more data from radiometric dating, and they came up with a rough consensus. It says that a year, in 1921, a yearly meeting of the British Association for the Advancement of Science came to a rough consensus that the Earth was a few billion years old and that radiometric dating was credible. Um, then in 1931... The National Research Council of the United States National Academy of Sciences decided to resolve the question by appointing a committee. They sent off a bunch of people to do a bunch of different tests. Then in 1956, uh, today's accepted age of the Earth of 4.55 billion years was determined by C.C. Patterson using uranium-lead isotope dating on several meteorites, including the Canyon Diablo meteorite, And uh, it goes on to say that since then, that date has been um, supported by hundreds of other terrestrial (laughs) samples and other meteorites. So just in the last, uh, just in the 20th century, the age of the Earth went from about 20 million years to 4.55 billion years with a bunch of revisions in between that. So how can you say that the age of the Earth is a no-go zone for scientists? Well, uh, let me give you an example, a modern example of, of um, what can happen. And, I, and I've heard, and I, we're is not going to lay all Is this specifically related to the age of the Earth, Mike? I would say yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, you know, I've been shown a lot of things uh, when I went to college. I, I learned directly from creationists scientists who did the research themselves. What I'd really appreciate, actually, is if, uh, whether it was America or it was the world, that we just got a knockdown, drag-out, uh, high-level debate from scientists so that everybody from every side can throw their arguments in and it can be debated in public. And I don't care if it takes years. The thing you can throw out, I know that my professors had something they could throw out. And when they throw it out, your scientists will counter it. And I'm not enough of an expert on these subjects but to Mike, deal with it. But here's what... Wait, 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 wait. That's what yeah. happens. That's how the scientific community already works. They have throw-down debates. That, that's, that's business as usual for science. You're, you're talking about that like that would be a, a novel idea. That's how well, the scientific the- community comes to a consensus... In the first place. Well, apparently, the creation people don't get into peer-reviewed articles too much, and they do their own books. And I know scientists have said, well, they don't really want to get in into our research. Uh, they don't want to do peer-reviewed stuff. Well, most of them aren't real scientists anyway. 
And, and there, are, there have been a lot of bad scientific work on the part of creationists, but I think there's also probably been some good scientific work, and uh, they are in the minority. Uh, but as a layperson, I would like to see the top 100 scientists in their field, I don't care if Richard Dawkins leads it, uh, allow creation scientists to get there and really lay it out in public until each issue has a, a winner on the particular issue. But I think that there's a lot of resistance to presenting any evidence that contradicts a very, very, very old age of the earth and evolution theory. Now, here's, here's an example for modern times. And um, you know who Mary Schweitzer is, Dr. Schweitzer? Albert Schweitzer? No, Mary Schweitzer. Mary Recently, Schweitzer. and I, I think in 1997 uh, is when she made her first discovery, she found hemoglobin, or, or a, uh, these red blood cells, basically, in a T-Rex uh, skeleton, fossilized skeleton. Not only was it just a T-Rex, but it was the, I think it's the oldest T-Rex fossil they have. Uh, according to their dating methods. But not only does she find red blood cells, but it's actually a little bit gooey, stretchy, sticky. Now, she wasn't supposed to be looking for this. It was kind of by accident. In fact, um, one particular uh, scientist said if she had known our scientific views on the um, presence of organic substances in fossils, she never would have looked for it because our view is it can't happen. Well, uh, if you look in the Internet for hemoglobin and dinosaur, you'll pull it right up. Well, she finds it. Now, not only does she find it in 1997, but she continues to research it with an awful lot of resistance. In fact, the first scientist that looked at this said, well, it may look like a red blood cell, and it may be red, and it may have all these other properties, and it may be reacting to the, the test that you're doing like a red blood cell, but it can't be a red blood cell because red blood cells don't live 100 million years. Well, the, the, the argument there was this dinosaur wasn't dead 100 million years. This dinosaur was perhaps dead a few thousand years. Um, certainly something not you know, on a different magnitude. Well, she's done more research, and she went into some uh, fossil fields, and now she's finding it in mass, this hemoglobin, and, uh, and other types of organic material and even to a point where they're at least discussing the whole Jurassic Park cloning dinosaurs idea, even though it's at a very basic stage and she thinks that's probably not likely. Um, it, it has flown in the face of science, and yet science's knee-jerk reaction was not to look at the evidence, but to say it can't be because your evidence contradicts our theory. Of course, and that is always the knee-jerk reaction of scientific communities. It always has been. And always will be, and that's as it should be. The scientific community okay. that accepts theory A will always say that theory B can't be correct. And then what happens? And and you know this is this has been written about a million times in in books that talk about the history of ideas and the history of science. Is the old guard will stick to its theories and try and find ways of poking holes in the new theory, but gradually the the Evidence, if it's strong enough, will be peer-reviewed by a different generation of scientists who will say, you know what, no, the new theory is better than the old theory. And it takes time, you know, usually at least a decade, if not a generation, but the new theory prevails. 
if it's supported by enough data and, and, and to refute uh, or at least be a better explanation than the, the previous theories. But, yeah, of course, the knee-jerk reaction of the old guard is always going to be, well, that can't possibly be true. But, you know, the great thing about science is that the, the better theory is usually the one that ends up being uh, prevalent. Well, and so my argument really about the entire evolution debate is it's not that evolution is not at all possible, because I don't know. There certainly is a lot of data that it can be very, very, very compelling. However, as a someone who's been very open to creation science as well, which has a lot of problems and a lot of the fundamental beliefs have been proven to be... Sorry, don't even, you know, don't even use those or, two or, words in the same sentence. Yeah, I, I understand. There's science but, and there's uh, creationism. They're not the same thing. Creationism is a theory. Evolution is a theory. Yeah, creation is a theory, is but it's not a science. The battle, right. It's not a right. scientific Science is theory. the battlefield. Science is the battlefield. But it's my belief that people who support evolution, which in turn has really... Altogether has created this very old history of the earth. I believe that evolutionists and scientists and the scientific community has held on to a theory of how we got here and how old the earth is and how long the the changes that have occurred in the earth have taken a very long period of time. I think they hold to that like a religious belief, and I think what we're going to find, and I believe there's a lot of evidence out there that points in this direction that we're going to find that, that those things are going to have to be backed off of. And, and I, uh, certainly I'd love to find that the theory of evolution would go away just because it, it's, I'm not happy to, to believe that I came from, from, uh, from just a little microbe. It certainly robs my life of certain meaning, but really? see, that's, I, I think, so- yeah, See, I, I, I thought about it. it I think it, that's sad. I mean, it, I, I think for those of us that are um, atheists, we, we, we just think that is one of the – I mean, to me, the idea that there is an unbroken track record from the Big Bang 14.7 billion years ago to uh, me being here today, my atoms uh, can be traced back, have a, a linear history going back nearly 15 billion years – is uh, just well, actually, nearly fourteen billion years, thirteen point seven billion years. Is 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 just a an amazingly beautiful and profound idea. I agree. I think the the whole idea behind that is a very profound idea. Personally, I would like to have the traditional heaven and pearly gates, and in you know, in a very happy, contented situation for eternity. And the, if evolution were to be true, uh, my life would consist of not much more than, you know, from birth to death, and I would certainly view how I approach life way differently than if I was having some kind of a belief in an afterlife. Uh, I would have a moral code that might be very, very different, uh, and, and it would reflect the fact that I'm, I'm just an animal on this planet, and uh, I probably would have a lot less respect for the other animals on the planet. Now, that's not a scientific argument for uh, or against anything. I mean, it's just how you're, I would feel about you're it. You're basically but, saying that the only thing that keeps you being a nice human being is a fear of the repercussions from your god, that deep down you're really a, a, an evil, destructive person who would just kill anyone who got in his way? No, deep down I'm, I, I think I'm a, a very good 
you know, hearted person. So However, what, is it, what does it matter if it, a God exists or not? You're saying that if you stopped believing in God, all of a sudden you just become a, a, a rampaging maniac? No, no, no. I, I would say I've, I've backtracked my, my fundamental belief system to the bare bones of I'm pretty sure there's a God. I just really don't know as much as I thought I knew about him. Um, I, I think if I believed 100% in evolution or a, a not a God being created, I'd have to look at the circumstances of my life and, and treat myself more like I was, um, like an animal would. I mean, an animal thinks about itself, an animal thinks about its immediate family and its, its own needs, and it usually doesn't go much further than that. Why would I go give $5 to a homeless person? For the same uh, reason to help that, them out. For the same reason that millions of atheists around the world do every day, Mike. Well, I think you can find meaning and purpose. I'm by no means am I saying meaning and purpose. You can have meaning and purpose within uh, you know, the world as you view it, but it would certainly make me reevaluate um, what I do and how I do and why I do it. And, you know, I've talked to some atheists, I've talked to, to people that, that you know that are atheists about, you know, certain moral actions, and when I told the, the person, you know, here's, here's what I did as a good moral thing, and they were shocked because it was um, such a selfless act that didn't seem to serve a purpose in an atheist mind. Um, so... Uh, you know, that's, that's a philosophical thing. That's another thing. But I really believe, and again, this is not really a religion argument. It's an argument that a lot of scientists have put faith in their scientific research that I believe goes beyond simply, yeah, we're pretty sure the Earth is this old. I think they hold on to anything that would be against the existence of a God, I think they hold on to that like a religious belief because they don't like the possibilities that present themselves Sorry, Mike. if you have a Mike. that's okay. If you if you have a younger Earth. Mike, or if you have a dinosaurs around 10,000 years ago. Mike, I'm sorry, but that just demonstrates a complete um, misunderstanding about the scientific community and how they operate and what they're motivated by. And uh, is just, you know, from my experience of, of the scientific community, completely, completely wrong. It's a completely wrong interpretation of the scientific community and, and, and doesn't even make any sense. You scratch the surface of that theory before, it makes no sense. As I said, the scientific community is incented to overturn existing theories, including the Big Bang and the Age of the Earth. Uh, if you could, if you could prove that the age of the Earth is wrong, you would win Nobel prizes and be lauded by the scientific community. You'd be, you'd be set for life, and you'd be remembered in the history books, which is one of the things that motivates most scientists to make a significant contribution to uh, advancing the human species by, uh, by you know, coming up with a new theory or proving an old theory wrong, and to suggest yes, that but- scientists are just sitting around. Um, believing in existing theories like their religious belief is just—it's just fundamentally incorrect, Mike. I'm sorry. It's, but if, if it took me—if it took me 50 years to prove the Earth was younger, the first 49.999 years, I would be ostracized, ridiculed uh, by the scientific community for even thinking 
of any kind of a major shift in scientific view. And that's what religious people did to the scientific thinkers during the Dark Ages, during the age, you know, prior to the Age of Enlightenment, and even during it. So I'm just saying that I think the scientific community behaves quite a lot, just like the religious communities out there. Most of them go in their, their little realm of existence, and they've simply been taught certain things that they carry with them through their career, and, and they carry on the mission, and they, they have kind of a blind faith in the things they learned in the textbooks. And, and let me point out, if we're going to talk, of, we're not really going to go any further than this, you know that the history books are full of lies, right? Which history books are you referring to, Mike? Well, I just in general, history uh, tends to be, of course, written by the victors. There's a lot of uh, incorrect things written in history books, a lot of misconceptions in history books, a lot of assumptions in history books, correct? Is that your view? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, well, well, it depends on the history books. I, I think that has been a but, trend in human history, though, sure. Sure, and history, a lot of the history that we have is written by historians. People are supposed to be experts in writing history. I don't see any reason why science books are not just as full of assumptions. You would say, well, but they use the scientific method. Yeah, but they get a lot of things wrong, too. And there's just as many people out there who, who took a, a theory and ran with it, and at some point it stuck, and then it becomes so entrenched that it's very difficult for them to break away, even when presented with clear evidence that maybe the whole thing, it, it just, it's not going to work. And it takes 50 years, and it takes a struggle, and perhaps an extraordinary struggle by somebody to, to change scientific thought, not because it's based in fact, because it's only based in theory a lot of the times, but because they hold to those theories so stringently in things like age of the earth and, and geography. Mike, 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 we've, 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 we've gone over this over and over again. Look, no one's disagreeing with you that, uh, the scientific community is made up of humans and humans get attached to a certain view of the world and that it can take a large amount of effort to, to shift those. But, it happens. The scientific community is about the search for truth. And sometimes it takes a generational change for theories to die and to be replaced by new theories. But the point is that it does happen. And that is the way that the scientific, the scientific progress works is we do discard old theories. We do replace them with new theories as opposed to religion, which is still stuck with the same wrong ideas that you had 2,000 years ago or older, and this gets back to the discussion that we had at the very beginning, which I submit to you in closing because we've nearly gone for an hour and a half here, which is the number of ideas that humans have had over the course of the last 10,000 years, recorded history, are almost infinite. Which of those are we going to believe in? Are we going to believe in all of them equally? And if not, what methodology are we going to use to determine which of those ideas are likely to be correct and which of those are likely to be false? And if you have a better way of determining that than the scientific method, come back to me on the next show and tell me what it is. Otherwise, I think we agree that the scientific method and the practitioners of the scientific method that we call scientists is the only way that we have today 
of accurately determining the validity of any particular idea versus competing ideas. And so if we agree on that, let's move forward with science and the scientific method and the scientific community to determine truth versus falsehood. And if, and if you don't agree with that model, give me a better model for determining truth. I, uh, I'll ask you one question as my final, my final closing statement. Um, I, I agree scientific method's a good, good way to look at this. It's the best we've got. And again, my argument wasn't so much with the scientific method, but with the theory of evolution in a very, very old Earth. Do you think the pursuit of a younger Earth, possibly substantially younger, and the, um, something other than the theory of evolution, do you think that's a valid scientific pursuit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there is, if there is, there are reasons why a scientist feels that the existing uh, theories are not sufficient, and you know there are things that the current theory doesn't explain, or there is evidence that doesn't, you know, uh, that that isn't explained by the current theories, then absolutely, we want the truth. The scientific community is motivated to determine the truth. But if so, you think? But you know, right. if if there's no, if if the all of the evidence that we have fits with the prevailing theory and there's nothing that it doesn't explain dramatically and there's there's no big gaps in it, then why would you go and pursue uh, trying to prove that the Earth is younger when none of the data suggests that the Earth is younger? That would seem to me to be a somewhat foolish pursuit. It, it, it would, but I think there's a lot more, and I, I, I know you want to, shoot this down. There's a lot more scientists, or at least people who have some kind of scientific pursuit that would contest that there are big gaps, there are holes, and there is evidence that would discredit the older history of the Earth and evolution. I think there's people out there that are being discounted, and their, their work is being discounted, and I, I'd love to believe that they would not only uh, find evidence to support support that view. I, I'd love for Noah's Ark to be discovered. I'd love them to find the Loch Ness monster, and I'd love them to prove baby Jesus was born of a virgin. I don't think I'm going to get that one, uh, but uh, I would love to see that happen. And, and my real concern is that they're simply treated with at least enough respect that that they're out there seeking earnestly. The people who create hoaxes. Uh, like Ken Hovine and stuff. That's you know that all that does is discredit the rest of them. But I think there there's more out there um, to be researched, and uh, and I think you'd be surprised uh, at some of the things that I have personally been exposed to that that say otherwise. And I'll close with that. Mike, nice, fun, robust discussion. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Finally, look forward to having you on again. Thank you, Cameron Riley. Cameron Riley. It is an honor to uh, have been given an opportunity to debate the master debater. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm a masturbator. Uh, yeah, I've been called that before. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and once again, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the work you do here. Uh, we don't always have to see eye-to-eye 100%, but I, I believe 100% in, in what you've done. And... Uh, uh, I can't say enough about how I feel about that. 
Thank so you, I Mike. It. I appreciate the support. And, and you know, I, you know, I wouldn't invite people on if they were just going to agree with me. Um, it's all about the discussion. Thanks, thanks and, for listening, uh, people. And don't forget, go to neo.org and sign your declaration for, for how you're going to make the world a better place. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. Tough young guys, sinewy bodies in their fingers and teeny toes challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. There is a passionate affair going on between Kirk and the mountain. Kirk is on the Kirk is on the mountain. Now, in order to create that illusion, sucking some of the most sensational men who not only climb are voracious, fleeting, and elusive and peripheral, and that's putting me on the mountain. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Hold it, please. To hug the mountain. Envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain will hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. And the climb is going where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. Challenge the rock. Challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love.